0: Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Open up to Acts 9, and I'll be reading Acts 9, 1 through 31. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way... Whether, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, And inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? and has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength, and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night, and let him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, Coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated.
1: As was mentioned earlier, um, today is the, the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Before I go on with that, I just think, just this is a little commentary, I think it's sad that it's now called the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Do you remember, just years ago, it was called what? Sanctity of Life. Because of the way the world has gotten, where they make the human and the animal all one and the same. And so if you're wondering why the definition now, it's because you have to define it. You know, the world, and I was going to sing a a special today, and I I backed out. Anyways, um, on, uh, um, say it again, silent, Um, while they were sleeping, while you were sleeping. Um, And it's, you know, a little town of Bethlehem. You know, it looks like another silent night. You missed it when the, the Savior came into your town. Oh, little town of Jerusalem looks like another silent night. You missed it when the, the king was in your city. But then the third part goes, um, uh, uh, United States of America looks like another silent night. Because you, you go to sleep with philosophies to save the trees and kill the children. It's what just personifies us today. And it's so sad. Um, but with that, I want to use that as a transition point of what we're going to talk about because as great as the gift of physical life is that God has given to us, He's made us in His image and in His likeness. That He made us spirit beings with the desire that we would have fellowship with Him. That's the difference between an animal life and a human life. An animal life was not made with a body, soul, and a spirit. But a human life was. God made you in His image and His likeness. He made you with the Spirit. And it's God's desire for you to have fellowship with Him. From the beginning, that was always His plan. And so we're told before the foundations of the world were laid that Christ had already died for us. That it was already in the mind of God what the plan of redemption would be. He knew that when He made man with a free will to be able to make a decision, that man would rebel. Man would choose to to go against what God had declared. Only one rule in the garden. Think about it. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was only one, one special tree in that garden, right? You should always tell me what? No, no, you're wrong. That's exactly right, Rodney. There were two special trees in that garden. There wasn't just a tree of the knowledge of good and evil that they weren't allowed to eat of, but there was a tree of what? God didn't say they couldn't eat of it. They could have ate of it. But they chose to eat of the tree of death. And from that moment, they were placed out of the garden. That's why Jesus came and died. We then have to acknowledge the fact that like Adam, our father, we have chosen to what? To sin. James 2.10 says, If you obey the whole law, yet you stumble at one point, you are guilty of, of it all. The greater gift, physical life is important, it's exciting. I'm glad I'm here. But the greater gift is eternal life. God breathes into you the breath of life, physical. But it is God who also breathes into you eternal life. Not by any works which you have done, but purely by him. Today we get to, to see that. In the life of Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor of the church. But with this gift of eternal life comes a transformation. A transformational work of God. That when God gives you life, physically, right? Think about it. And so, I don't know, Gabriel, are are you still here? Yeah, right? we got Hope who's ready to to, to break forth, right? And so, I've been with Marsha through six deliveries. You know, we had a set of twins, so... Got seven, but there were six, right? And, and every single time, every single one of those babies wanted to nurse. Isn't it mind boggling? Did you ever think about that? That's a miracle by itself. It's been existing for nine months in water. And, you know, you can give me all the embryonic fluids and all that kind of stuff, and I don't really care about that. It was just whatever, right? All I know is a baby came out and within moments knows how to latch on. The baby knows. How to latch on. How? God gave him the ability. God gave him the gift. God gave him the know-how to do that. It begins bonding with appearance. Do you think about that? All of these things that, that happen just in your physical birth, equally, there is a transformational happening when you get saved. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you get the new life, if you would, eternal life, things begin to happen. So I want to look, before we jump into Acts 9, because we're going to see this in Paul, and what's really exciting is it's Paul who actually wrote these things. So Romans 6, I have them on my sheet, so I'm going to read them from here. I was going to pass them out, but I think for time, I'm just going to read them real quick. Romans 6, beginning at verse 5 and verse 6. So listen to what Paul says. He says, for Paul, who was originally who? Saul, who we're going to talk about today, right? For if we have been united together in the likeness of his, that is Christ's death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So if you've been joined to him through his death, you're going to become looking like him in what? His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Then drops to verse t- verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things which you are now ashamed? For in the end, those things, for the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and in the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul equates then that there's going to be this change, that if you were a slave to sin, but now you are a slave of God, life changes. You don't live the same. You cannot live the same. You cannot, as Jesus said in Matthew 6, serve two masters. You've made a decision to turn from one master to another master. Therefore, your life has to change. 2 Corinthians 5.17, one you all know very well. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? Say it again louder. A new, a new creation, right? Old things have what? What have they done? Passed away. All things have become new. So if you are a new creation in Christ, old things should have what? Uh, passed away. And all things should be coming new, Right? sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Does that make you stop in your tracks for a moment? If that's your lifestyle, if that's who you are, Paul says, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. I understand saved by grace. But get, the point is, if that describes your life, if there hasn't been any transformational change, you've got to stop in your tracks and think. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Does it describe your life? Is it describing a change in your life? Are you becoming more like those things than you are the former things? Against such of these there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So those who are Christ have what? Crucified the flesh. Finally, Ephesians 4, 17-24. I forgot to keep going with myself here. Ephesians 4, 17, 24. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. You used to do that. You used to walk like them. But you shouldn't do it anymore having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past failing, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God, in true righteousness, in holiness. This putting off the old man, putting on the new man, this transformation that God is going to work in an individual to whom he comes to, we're going to see in Saul of Tarsus, who we know becomes Paul. As Chuck read um, this passage in Acts 9, we see in the first two verses a description of the old man. A reminder of this Saul of Tarsus that we've been introduced to. He is still breathing out threats. In fact, he is going even greater now in that he is, he has gone to get permission from the high priest that he can go to the synagogues of Damascus. He can ask them to identify those who are in Damascus who are in the way which is a term for Christianity back then. They weren't called Christians yet. They were just following the way. Jesus said, I am the way, right? So they were following the way. And so they're they're following the way. And so there they are. So he goes to Damascus. He wants to find them. He wants to arrest them. And he wants to remember what he saw. He's going from house to house, and he dragged them. Remember? Okay, well, that's what he's going to do. Now he's extended. He's going to Damascus. He's, he's going he's to get them. He's going to drag them back to Jerusalem in order for them to be put in prison. Potentially, eventually what? Killed. Okay? So, so this is the old Paul. But again, as I mentioned last week, kind of briefly, this is important because of his pedigree okay philippians chapter 3 i love the book of philippians okay and so paul says in the beginning of philippians chapter 3 that he was a hebrew of the hebrews it says that he begins off saying if any other man thinks that he has where he can trust in the flesh i more being circumcised the eighth day of the stock of israel of the tribe of benjamin a hebrew of the hebrews as touching the law a pharisee blame uh, touching law blameless so it was a Pharisee and it's touching the law. He was blamed. Oh, persecuting the church is touching the law, blameless. So he says right off the bat, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I'm a Jews Jew. If you put it down, look at the law and you go, someone who's followed all the stuff that God has put there, you'll see Saul of Tarsus right next to it. I was baptized the eighth day. Do we do this sometimes? We, 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 we want to put up our own little spiritual pedigree to people. Oh yeah, I grew up in a, a preacher's home. Mike, so I, I'm gonna say this because Matt used to joke about it. And when he was in school, he wrote a little, um, had to write a little paper about himself or whatever. And so he joked about growing up in the son of a, a Baptist preacher's house and, and all this kind of stuff and da, da, da. But the reality is he can't get to heaven based upon the fact that what? I'm a preacher. Now I didn't even say that I'm saved. Okay? But he's not going to get there because I'm a preacher. But so many people think when you ask them down here, see up north, if you go door to door and I ask them about Christ, they're going to tell me they're a Catholic. And that's not the picking up. But you know that, Michelle, right? If you don't, you know, if you're a Catholic, like a it's not even a matter whether you're a Christian, you're a Catholic. Okay. So Pittsburgh, door to door, Catholic. Now you're going to find others as well, but you get what I'm saying. Down here, I'm a Baptist. I'm a Baptist. I don't really care what you are. I want to know do you know Jesus? I, I don't. I want to know you're living for Him. I want. Is your life been transformed? See, we've gotten so accustomed, as we talked about in Sunday school, as a, as a culture, we've become so dumbed down to the to the to the sins of our culture. As a church, we've done that with 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 true theology as well, with true salvation. As long as someone's warm in a, a pew, they're warm in a chair on a Sunday. They're a believer. Well, they go to church on Sunday. Well, that's nice. I'm glad they go to church on Sunday. I went to church every Sunday. Well, I probably missed a couple, but for 23 years. And again, if you've been here long enough, you know the joke, right? In the wintertime when you couldn't drive, we walked the church uphill both ways through the snow. Yeah, both ways. In fact, we probably slid down the ice coming back down Galleon Avenue. I'm picturing it. You guys aren't. It was a cobblestone road. And boy, that was kind of fun for a kid coming up over the cobblestones when you're doing ice. Okay. And so, but we'd go. My dad was diligent in taking us to church. I didn't know Christ. I had a great pedigree. And when Woody first asked me if I was going to heaven, I listed my pedigree. Of course I am. If anybody's going to heaven, it's got to be me. I went to every church every Sunday. My dad was a treasurer. I was active in the youth group. I even taught in, in the church. I even spoke when the, when the youth group was there and doing it. I spoke. And then I just continued on. I didn't talk about the time I stole the, my dad's tithe money they kept giving me so I could go buy candy and, and all that kind of stuff. Because it didn't matter. My good works were What? I'm weighing my bad works. Who wants to focus on your bad works? Clearly I went to church and my family was going to church. So I was okay. We're not Jewish. So we're not going to sit there and say, you know, I'm an Israelite. I was a tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. But we're going to do the same thing on our end. But that's all Saul's saying. If anybody's saved, if you would, using our vernacular, it's got to be me. His degree, go this way. What was his passion, though? Well, he continues on. Persecuting the church. I was persecuting the church. And in that, according to the law, I was blameless. Isn't that something? Zeal. He had great zeal for God. And in that great zeal, he was persecuting the church. Now, what's fun is the Greek word dioko... Do I have it up here yet? Yeah. Dioko means to press towards something. It's if, if you would, for us today, think of a bounty hunter. Okay, you've seen the westerns with the bounty hunter. What stops the bounty hunter from trying to get that, the man who's wanted dead or alive? Whether he's guilty or he's not guilty, it doesn't matter. He's wanted dead or alive, and I don't care whether I bring him in, dead or alive. The only time I really matter is if you tell me I only get 500 if he's dead and 1,000 if he's alive. I'm, at that moment, I'm going to try to gag him and bring him in alive, right? That bounty hunter is going to do what? Press, 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 push, 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 push. That's what Paul's saying. I pursued, I pressed after the church in order that I could what? Drag him back. I could destroy him, Because I was serving God in my own righteousness. According to the the law, I was serving God. So he gives us the reasons why he's doing this. He was still breathing out threats against the church. That's who he was. That's who he was. He was a religious individual who was extremely passionate and purposeful. He was living, if you would, to, to steal um, Jim Warren's uh, title, he was living a purpose-driven life. Do you get it? And he was living a purpose-driven life in his own eyes for for God, for the Creator for the for the, the 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 god of israel okay that's who he was but in persecuting the church we see that he was really persecuting christ he was really persecuting his redeemer he was persecuting his own god but he was ignorant of that he didn't know it he didn't understand so god in his grace did what Came to him. God came to him in order to work a transformation. We see that it is clearly the work of God. Saul of Tarsus. And I might say Paul here and there, so forgive me for that. I'm trying to keep to his real name at this moment, right? But Saul's doing what? He's breathing out threats. He's going to Damascus. But, but God comes and initiates it with Saul. Now, can I stay, stop for a moment and he's already initiated right? He's already done what? Provided the means of salvation. But Saul is what? He's rejecting it. He's rejecting it. And he's persecuting the church who, who did accept it. So, So God initiates the transformation. God initiates redemption. It's not a man thing. If you ever think that you did something toward your salvation, get rid of it. It's by grace that you're saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. Before the foundations of the world were laid, God had already determined the plan. How exciting is that? Jesus is Yahweh incarnate, God in the flesh, who came to the earth to pay the penalty of my sins and your sins. To become my sin, so that when he died on the cross, he destroyed my sin. That's how it plays out. He not only pays the penalty, but he destroys the power of that sin as well. I choose to enslave myself back to it. Romans chapter 6. He's done everything to deliver me from it. He's also then the one who provides the call to salvation. So we've talked about in the last couple of weeks the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict men of sin, of righteousness and judgment, right? The Holy Spirit comes and he does it. He works in you. I understand Hebrews chapter six. By faith um by faith uh, those who come to by faith, those who come to him, that is God, must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's after salvation. You are not going to seek God, pride or salvation. God seeks you. That's John chapter 6. That God the Father is drawing men to himself. He does the work. Okay? He does all of it. So Jesus was asked, what's the work of God? He says, well, you just need to believe. That's it. God does everything else. You just need to believe. So God calls, and we see this so excitingly. Now, I, I can't. I'd love to tell you that this happened exactly like this for me, but it didn't. Saul receives a real special calling here. But note in the wording of the calling to, to Saul, when he says, the bright light comes and, and Saul says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. And then Jesus says one more thing. What does he say? Say it a lot, David. It's hard, for you to kick the goats. it's hard for you to kick against the goats. Which means what? He must have been kicking against goads. There must have been pricking going on in his conscience that he's fighting against. Remember, we've talked about this in the past as well. That the reality is if you're convicted by something, you have one of two options. You're either going to repent or you're going to rebel. What's Saul Tarsus doing? Rebelling. He's fighting against it. He was there when Stephen was stoned. No doubt in my mind, he probably was there when Stephen was doing the whole oratory. He heard it. We discussed, and I'm not going to give you a dating on this, John. You had asked about dating, but I'm not going to give you a dating because remember he was a young man. Okay. And so at this point, I think he's still a young man. He's going to spend three more years being trained by Jesus in the future in the desert. And I think he's getting into his 30s. So whether he's in his 30s now or whether he's in his 20s, I'm not positive. But at that age group, okay, here's something I want you to think about. Okay. He probably, potentially, this is total conjecture, Bob's conjecture. Okay could have been there in the Sanhedrin. Remember, because he was an aide to Gamaliel. He could have been there in the Sanhedrin when the Sanhedrin condemned Jesus. This isn't many months past that. He could have been serving Gamaliel, who would have been in the Sanhedrin when Jesus was. So he could have been there. I'm not saying he was. But think about that. If he was there, could he have been... This is just conjecture. Total conjecture. I'm just... Could he have been one of the ones who was underneath the cross mocking Jesus? That would be consistent with his personality. And was the Holy Spirit just banging him, banging him, banging him, banging him, banging him? Did he have restless sleep at night? Thinking of Stephen? Seeing Jesus at the the right hand of God? I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that very clearly Jesus says, that he'd been calling him. And he'd been convicting him. And that Paul had been what? Trying to sear his conscience. We all don't get the privilege that Saul had. Saul was chosen. Chosen. I, I get, I'm get. i going to have battles on free will people. Because I'm a free willer. I'm a balanced guy. I'm a, I'm a me- mystery guy. But in my mystery position, I think there are people who don't have choices. Jeremiah was a prophet from the time he was in his womb. John the Baptist was a prophet from the time he was in the womb. Paul didn't have an option. <laughs> he did. He accepts Christ. We'll talk about that. But think about it. Jesus comes to him and he beats him up. He blinds him. He knocks him off the camel. He blinds him and says, you're going to be mine, dude. You don't get it. You're the guy who's going to be preaching to the Gentiles, you Jew of Jews and Hebrew of Hebrews <laughs> who probably wouldn't want to go near something that's going to cause you to be unclean. We'll talk about Peter in that in just a, uh, two weeks or so. It's kind of fun stuff. Anyways, and so you're going to be the one who takes this message to the Gentiles. I love it. God does the initiating. Saul clearly wasn't looking for this moment. He was fighting against the moment. But Jesus said, No, no, you're, you're mine. You are mine. So now Paul has to make a decision. He does make a decision. So I'm not saying that like boom, you know, all of a sudden, boom, you know, in it but there is that balance. And how that plays out, I don't know how the finite the eternal comes down to the finite and how they blend together and where that moment becomes, I don't know. I know in my Bob's life that it was in bed at night. And I knew that that moment, if I died, I felt like my heart was going to burst. And if it did, at that very moment, I was going to hell. And I rolled out of my bed, and I went over into the, to our, what we called our den, and onto my Papa's on chair, and, and you know, curling up and, and crying out to God, if you can save this wicked soul, I'm yours. I think I probably was saved when I rolled out of bed. I verbalized it in the den. You track what I'm going? Okay? Because at the moment I rolled out of bed, I submitted. Okay? Your, your situation may be different. Okay? Saul's situation is this moment on the road to Damascus. He's got a decision to make, right? So what's his decision? Lord, what do you want me to do? There's so much being stated that's not stated. Think about it. He has, right now he knows he's wrong. He's convicted of sin. And so he comes back and says, Lord... What do you want me to do? So the fruit of repentance, he he heeded the word of Christ. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Jesus told him, I want you to go to Damascus. I want you to go to Straight Street. And I want you to wait there for me. Well, he's blinded. He's got to be led now by other people, right? So he goes. And while he's waiting for what God's going to teach him, what does he do? He fasts. He fasts in repentance. Now, I want to challenge you with some of these things. Is this transformation visible in your life? Are you heeding the Word of God? When, when He says something, are you doing it? It's like yesterday we talked about in Men's Breakfast, right? You're supposed to be like that war horse, you know, and you got the master sitting on top of you. He doesn't, He's not guiding you with his hands because in one he's got the sword and the other he's got the shield, right? He's just guiding you with his knees. He's tapping you on the left, tapping you on right, and you're going to go, okay? And so do you live a life like that, where you are subtle, you are tender to the... Um, The guidance of the Savior, and you're going to do what he tells you to do, okay? So he goes and he fasts in repentance. Three days, three nights, no food, no water. Total fast. Total fast. We'll have an opportunity coming up in the third week of March. We always have a spring week of prayer and fasting. I'm sorry, the final week of March. Um... So we have a week of prayer and fasting, and then in the fall we have a week of prayer and fasting. And you don't have to do it. It's not a matter of, oh, I'm more spiritual because I'm doing this, and you shouldn't tell anybody if you're if you're fasting. That's between you and the Lord. But it's an opportunity for us to learn and to be taught and to train ourselves that this is an important biblical um, discipline that was understood back then. Lord, why couldn't we cast out that demon? Because you have little faith. This kind only comes by Prayer and fasting. Fasting is an important thing. So i just leave it right there for you. He then, Ananias comes. We'll talk about Ananias in a moment. Ananias comes, right, after submitting to the Lord. He comes, and, and he comes and he lays hands on, on Saul. Saul, the, the skills go away. He receives his sight. And immediately, immediately, he wants to be immersed in the name of Christ. He wants to be officially identified in the name of Christ. There's something that happens. After you get saved, you want to be immersed. You want to be identified with him. Saul does the same thing, right? And so at that moment, we see there's also the laying on hand with the filling of the Spirit. But there was no, again, if if we're going to see speaking in tongues or something like that, why wouldn't we see it here? So it it plays out. But in this, Ananias lays hands on him. He's he's filled with the Spirit. And I can't, honestly, I'm not going to tell you that I, I can... Give you the definition of, of, of how this is being played out, okay? But what I know from Paul's teaching, okay, who this is the one who's going it, that Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that you are sealed, that when you accept Christ as your Savior, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon you. So, what this second feeling was at this moment, I'm not gonna to define to you, okay? But I don't see this necessarily like the, the empowerment. OK, so I'm just going to tell you that I'm straight out there. OK, there are some things that I, in life I'm still praying about and I'm still searching for myself and and seeking to understand. OK, but what I do know, and I do understand is that when you get saved, you receive the Holy Spirit and you are sealed. And then God empowers you to accomplish tasks that you couldn't accomplish on your own apart from him. OK, we're not told that anything happened with this feeling at this moment other than I think this is going to go to the, for me with the empowerment, because the next thing we're going to be seeing that Paul does. Okay. It's going to be consistent with what happened in the early church. Okay. And that is, well, next thing after this one, he gathers with the disciples, right? So he goes instantly and instead of persecuting the disciples, now he wants to what be with him. Be with him. He wants to fellowship with them, And he begins to witness of Christ. That's where I'm going to go with this empowerment thing. Okay. This filling instantly, being filled with the Holy Spirit, having the Holy Spirit living inside of him, okay, the first thing he wants to do is to gather with the church and tell other people about Jesus. The one who was persecuting the name of Christ is now proclaiming the name of Christ. and he's doing so in such a way as he's confounding the Jews. The fact the word there um, in verse um, uh, 22, he dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ, is the word to, to harmonize. To, he was, he was, he was a Jewish scholar, okay? And so now he's, he went from persecuting Christ, now he sees all these Old Testament, his eyes are open, you get it? And he's seeing all these Old Testament passages that he should have, duh, realized in the past, and now he's going to his own people, and he's harmonizing the scriptures. Remember, they don't have the New Testament. Why don't they have the New Testament? Because they're living it. That's exactly right. It's not written yet. They're living it. So he's using the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. When someone comes to wit- you and you get the witness, do you normally go to the New Covenant or the Old Covenant? Isn't it kind of cold to know that you go to the Old Covenant and you can witness about God? I love going to Isaiah, using Isaiah and Zechariah when I'm witnessing the Mormons and, and uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. So, so that's what he's doing. Okay, So he's harmonizing if you would, the gospel to them, the good news, okay, about Christ coming, and it would be God in the flesh. He was the son of God. So he's witnessing to them. But then we're told that he's also himself growing in Christ. This is kind of fun. Verse 22, Paul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is Christ. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to, to kill him, but their plot came known to Saul, and they watched. So Paul is continuing to what? to be strengthened. He's continued to grow. He's continuing to learn more and more. Okay, And so he's continuing to grow. So ask yourself real quick through those six things, are you heeding the word of Christ? That as you read the word of God, I'm assuming something, I'm assuming you're reading the word of God. As you're reading the word of God and you see that God tells you to do something, are you doing it? Are you fasting, repenting of the, the, the evil, seeking to be more faithful in your life? Have you been immersed into Christ? Have you? Are you gathering together with the disciples? Is that important? I know you're here today, so you can say, yeah, check that one off. Okay? But is it a a common practice? Is it a desire for you? Or do you only come because you feel like, well, if I don't go, God's going to bang me? Okay? Are you witnessing? And are you growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Well, what was the reaction of the men? First of all, we have the reaction of the church in Damascus. Right? What was their reaction? First of all, there was rejection. How do you get that? Well, Jesus comes to Ananias, and he says to Ananias, "I want you to go over to to Straight Street to the to the house of begins of the It's not Judas, is it? Yeah. it is it Judas? Okay. So I want you to go to this house. Okay, and <laughs> you're going to find there this guy named Saul of Tarsus. Whoa, Lord, <laughs> send me any place. Remember we talked about Sunday school about. We want to pray against people sometimes. So again, this is Ananias with Saul. I'm praying against him. Destroy the guy. God says, no, I want to save the guy. And I want you to be the guy who goes over and talks to him about it me. So rejection. Reservation. I'm not sure. But then ultimately there was what? Acceptance. And it's okay. No, so note, the Bible doesn't hide these, these feelings. It's okay. I mean, you know somebody who's been a real enemy of the church? I get it. Right? So we want them to stop. But what happens if God wants them saved? We go through these processes. What about the Jews in Damascus? Well, they as well first wanted to kill him, but first they were amazed. They were amazed. This is the same guy. Right? I mean, like, he came here to be on our side. Now he's playing for the other side. Could you, could you imagine? That played out, right? Then there's consternation. What's the consternation? Well, he's confounding them. He's harmonizing. He used to be going against, but now he's taking the same scriptures that I have and he's showing me in the scriptures that this Jesus actually is him. And so they have a decision to make. Are they going to repent? Or are they going to rebel? What did they choose? To rebel. That acceptance back up on the uh, church of Damascus goes one step further, doesn't it? Because now that when, the, when the Jews decide to kill him, what does the church do? They aid and abet him. They help him to escape. They put their own lives at risk to come alongside this guy who just 72 hours earlier wanted to kill him. Isn't that something to think about? What would you do? I mean, think of all, all the things that have passed by from th- this time to last Sunday. But within this week, there was a guy who came purposely to kill you. But he gets saved. You think. It looks like it. And now the other guys want to kill him. And so you're going to help him escape. Or do you think to yourself, well, this is just justice. God's kind of working this thing out. And they kill their own. There we go. They don't do it. They help him out. Well, he goes to Jerusalem, right? So what happens in Jerusalem? Well, again, same, he runs into the same thing. Fear. It makes kind of sense, doesn't it? I mean, they don't necessarily know what happened up in Damascus. This is all happening quickly. They didn't have the Twitter accounts going and stuff like that, right? So he comes back, and who is this guy? He's the persecutor of the church. And he wants to join your fellowship. You're thinking, I'm, I'm China. You know, someone's trying to get into my, you know, worm their way into my little, you know, my silent church here, you know? And so fear, disbelief, and then finally they what? They accept him. How do they accept him? Don't anybody remember how the acceptance comes? It's exactly right, Joseph. Barnabas. Barnabas comes alongside him. Isn't that kind of cool? I pray to be a Barnabas. Too many times I'm not. Too many times we're judgmental and not sons of consolation. Barnabas is going to have a big role. We'll talk about him. He's the one who disciples Paul. How exciting is this? But he comes alongside Paul and he says, no, no, you guys, if you'd have been there, you'd have been totally amazed. I mean, this guy like, boom, like you flip the switch. It was off. It's on, and and he was doing it for the Lord, right? So then we have the the Jews in Jerusalem. Well, there was no amazement (laughs) at all. They weren't amazed. They were just consternated, and they wanted to destroy him. I have this little thing: synagogue of the freedmen? Question mark. If I'm if I'm if I'm Paul, and if I was part of the synagogue of the freedmen, where would I go back? I'd go back to them, right? And so I'm thinking that when it talks about these Hellenists that who were influenced by Greek culture, I'm wondering whether he's going back to these guys, these synagogue of the freedmen, you know? That, and, and he's witnessing to them. And so now they're turning, literally turning on their own, right? And so they want to kill him. And so now he's got to be... Um, escaped out of Jerusalem in the same way. So the church has got to help him there as well. And so now he escapes out of Damascus and now he has to escape out of Jerusalem. So we see then this new man. This new man. He used to be the persecutor of the church. But now we know from John chapter 1, Jesus said, uh, well, John says from Jesus, he says that Jesus was in the world, the world was made through him, the world did not know him. He came to his own his own." Received him not, but as, any, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, nor the will of man, nor the will of nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Right? Who is he now? What's his pedigree now? He's a child of God. And it's kind of fun because Galatians chapter 4, and I don't think I have that on your sermon note sheets. Uh, Galatians 3, which... Do I have that up there? I do. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. But in Galatians 4 then, he says that Christ came, when? In the fullness of time, to be born of a woman, to be born into the law, that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might become the, we might have the adoption as sons. He is no longer a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Worrying about whether he's of the tribe of Benjamin. That he was circumcised the eighth day. Now he's a child of God. That's his pedigree. I get it. I'm 25% Croatian, 75% German, at least according to the um, pedigrees of the world, right? I know I look like I'm 125% uh, Croatian, but or I act that way. And so, but the reality is, more importantly, I'm a son of God. I'm a child of God, and I look forward to the time to be. In, His presence. But what's exciting for me is he still has a passion. The same zeal that he had to destroy the church to fight against Christ, he now has with the desire to know Christ. What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his sufferings, even made me made conformable unto death. Not as though I had already attained either were already perfect, but this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are before, I press toward the mark. Guess what that word press is there? It's dioko. The exact same word. Exact same word. I pressed toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. As ardently as I pursued the church. Did he pursue the church ardently? As ardently as I pursued the church, I'm pursuing Jesus. I want to know him. Can I ask you a quick question? What's your passion? Do you really want to know Jesus? Or are you just content with just punching a ticket on Sunday mornings? And again, I'm not picking on you. I mean, it's it's an all play moment, right? Even as a pastor, I still have to struggle with that. Punching my tickets. My prayers from Matthew 24, because it talks about in those last days that the love of many is going to wax cold. Lord, allow my love never to wax cold. I want to know you. I want to continue to know you. I want to grow in your knowledge. No, I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want to suffer. But Lord, I get it. Your word is true. That I may know you in the power of your resurrection and in the fellowship of your sufferings. Paul, Saul, who becomes Paul, learned that. As he served Christ. But he never balked at it. It became his passion and purpose. He was still a what? Purpose-driven man. And his purpose was to know him and to make him known. Now, I hate to take that Southern Baptist cliche and throw it out there, but it's a good good cliche. To know him and make him known. So in the end, how have you responded to the Holy Spirit's work convicting you of righteousness, judgment, and sin? Are you truly a believer? Have you repented? Change the way you thought about sin. What is your passion in life? What are you pursuing? Is there a distinct difference between your life in Christ and what it was prior to Christ? For Bob, I believe that there is. Again, the Moffats were members here for a long time, and so if you knew Greg and Connie, they would testify to that. Um, Rodney, Michelle, you guys knew us before we were saved as well. A little bit of change? At least a little bit? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so... Say it again, uniform. my uniform changed. Amen, brother. That's exactly right. And so, so hope. I mean, if you knew me before Jesus, I'm the guy that cussed his wife up and down, stopped the car, told her to get her out. That's who I was. Just, just who I was. I can't imagine being that guy anymore. I just can't imagine. It's like it's a different person. Because it, it was. But there's so much more transformation. That's going on. And I praise the Lord for, for that consecration, that sanctification process we mentioned, right? that That's going on. Isn't that kind of cool that God does that for us? Is there then a need to change the way we think and change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Father, for beginning the work. We know that you who began the good work in us will continue to perform it to the day of Christ. And that it's you who are placing in us both the will to do of your good pleasure. Lord, help us to be, to be submissive and obedient. Help us to be tender to your voice. Help us to, to hate what you hate, to love what you love. Help us to be bold to make known your message. Thank you, Lord, for sending Bob and Marsha Key. Thank you for sending uh, Woody and Della Prophet. Thank you for sending Ron and Hazel Benzing into my life and making your word known to me. Thank you for doing your mighty work. Lord, I pray that you would help each of us to be those people in the lives of others, that you might receive the glory in Christ's name. Amen.